With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is episode... 11 of season three for dive cuts my name is sam stelling and uh, i am your host with me is ultimate a1 uh eli drinkwitz fanboy matthew j harris matt how are you i'm well it's been a while since we've uh talked uh th- apparently there was a coaching search that uh nope. took everybody's attention apparently missouri had to yeah. go find a football coach i think so, yeah so the last time that we recorded was uh was before the Charleston Southern debacle, uh, before Barry Odom got fired, and uh, before, obviously, that they hired a whole new football coach. So there's been... I've done... uh, I did three football podcasts, so people actually had to put up with me talking about football, which I always uh, always like to make our listeners sort of subject to my um, very mediocre uh, football ideas. I mean, they can't be any worse, or, uh, or uh, they wouldn't be. They'd probably be more well received than my ideas about football. So, which you've heard, but I have not shared publicly, and will not disclose at this point in time. Yeah, um, I think it would be fair to call us both skeptics of uh, the the coaching hire. I'm, I'm. Uh, so I. You said realist yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So, so we are we are both realists. Um, 
and I, I am a an optimistic realist, and Matt is a little bit more of a, <laughs> a pessimistic, or, or I think c- cynicism is the word that you use, which I, I think is probably more apt than, than pessimistic. Um, but uh, but both realists, we, you just kind of lean one way, I lean the other. Uh, and certainly, um, uh, Coach Drink has his work cut out for him in, in the next couple of years, and, and hopefully, hopefully uh, he can get it going because um, there's a lot of money poured into that contract. You know, he did a uh, great job. Kudos to him for using all the leverage in the world. Um, I have respect for that. I have much respect to not be on the radar until Saturday night and then within a day to squeeze $4 million out a year and a 70% coverage on buyout if you get canned. You know, for being Missouri's well, fourth choice, he, he did well for himself. I will say, so it is it is kind of interesting that the last two coaching hires – that Jim Sterk has made, he's moved away from Missouri's more traditional model of sort of having a lower base salary pay, which in effect lowers the buyout. And I and, and so this is how I'm, I'm going to pivot to basketball here in a second because Consul Martin is in the same situation. Um, and you and I were both expressing kind of before we came on like concerns about like the health of Missouri basketball program. Like I kind of thought coming in, like this is going to be a good year. He's got a talented roster. They were better than the record last year. Uh, we both saw all these guys that are currently on the roster, like making the kind of shots that they're just not making now. Uh, and so we really kind of thought it was, it was a good opportunity for them to take a step forward. I felt vindicated by their preseason Ken Palm rating. Uh, and so far they have not uh, performed um, particularly in the last couple of weeks, you know, with obviously the outlier at Temple, um, you know, but I, I think when you match up Missouri and Temple, and I realize I'm jumping all over the place, uh, they're two very like-minded teams. So they're gonna they're gonna play a lot of defense, and they're gonna score when opportunities are presented. <laughs> for the most part, like they're not great offensive teams, uh, so that was a good team for Missouri to face. But in large part, we've seen. Uh, a little bit of a lack of growth from a team that I expected more growth from. So how that ties into the contract is we both know that they cannot fire Consul Martin. Say it again. They cannot fire him. He is covered. Gets another year. He's coming back. He he has to be employed next season uh, because they went to the NCAA tournament in the first year. So that was part of the, the, the clause the buyout on Martin's contract is roughly the same as, as Drinkwitz, whereas uh, if if for whatever reason, if this continues to kind of go like it has the last few weeks where they're kind of up and down, they're not really playing all that well, and you know through next year you're unhappy with Consul Martin's job, the buyout is big. And like that's a concern for uh, an athletic department that's already operating in the red. So that's that's where I sort of like I'm hopeful that Drinkwitz can be the kind of guy that um, that can turn the program around. Offensive minded, maybe he's young, exciting. He can get in the kind of recruits that needs to kind of turn the program around. They can win, uh, you know, seven or eight games the next couple of years and just sort of get the excitement going and, and then maybe take another step. 
However, if it doesn't work out, like we don't really have a lot of reason to think that it will. Uh, then I mean, there's a lot of money that you're owing to a coach. Yeah, and it's just like, and and now we're possibly looking at, um, you know, having two coaches in the same situation. And coming from a basketball standpoint, I, I care a little bit more about basketball than I do football. Uh, I certainly hope that Conzo Martin is, I think, tied into this team and they can get it figured out because um, it's certainly like the last um, last couple weeks haven't been really pretty. And, and even the win at Temple was sort of like, it was more of an exhale than like a sense of relief. Like, okay, like that was better. Uh, but they've got some games coming up that are really going to be tough for them to uh, set themselves apart and, and heading into conference play. And fortunately for them, the SEC is looking pretty mediocre. Um, yeah, so that was a little bit of a diatribe. Uh, we're not here to talk about the, the Drinkwitz contract. Um, but we both have, have seen things in the last few weeks uh, following the uh, you know their play against uh, both Butler and Oklahoma, and in turn the loss to Charleston Southern, which was embarrassing. Um, like it's in a situation where you start to wonder, like, what are they trying to accomplish on offense? Uh, and it comes down to guys just needing to make more shots, and they're not. Yeah, and. We, we were talking about this before we came on, and, and let's we can kind of go in a piecemeal fashion here, but from a macro perspective, does this team look like it's playing with confidence? You know, I, I think the one thing that you would expect from a Conzo Martin team is some tenacity, that toughness. I mean, that that's what he has always tried to build his programs on a foundation of. And to watch the Charleston Southern game, you know, people will talk about, you know, the offense looks still, the ball stuck, they, you know, they settled for threes. They didn't look like a team that was playing with a lot of confidence. They did not look like a team that even setting, even if they had confidence, they just didn't look engaged for long stretches of that game. And I think the one thing I kept saying to you was like, look at Conzo Martin on the bench. You know, he's not standing up, you know, coaching a team through each defensive trip down the floor. His hand, you know, his shoulders were kind of slumped forward. His hands were kind of clasped in front of him and he was watching and he was quiet. And there were long stretches of that during that game, long stretches of that with his staff. It just, you know, the building itself was a mausoleum for long stretches of that game. It just, whatever sort of verve or toughness or energy that you would expect his teams to bring to the floor wasn't there. And it hasn't been there in starts against Oklahoma, against Butler. Um, I think they looked like they were playing with some desperation early on at Temple, even if, you know, shots weren't dropping, even if they were, again, sort of rickety out of the gate offensively. And so I, I think that was my biggest thing that I was sort of just not relieved, but glad to see against Temple when I went back and watched it was there was some engagement, there was some energy, there was some life. And, you know, the hope is that even if the execution wasn't great in Philly, that they can build off of that and they can, you know, sort of, I guess, gird their confidence a little bit 
and maybe this week off coming out of finals lets them, you know, put together another step forward against, you know, Southern Illinois. But just over the past two weeks, they haven't looked like a team that is, is pretty cocksure and self-assured in what they're doing. And I think that that's probably been maybe alarming too strong, but the most disconcerting thing I've seen. Yeah, I think it's surprising. Um, you know, if you sort of look back at at Conza Martin's history and, and what he's been able to do, like, you know, the complaint, uh, I think, for some fans is, I mean, yeah, he brings defense and toughness, uh, you know, but, you know, his like the offenses were, were generally pretty stagnant and they were overly relied on offensive rebounding and, uh, in order to score points and, and, and stuff like that. And, and to sort of see some of those same characteristics come out that they were not very good, um, offensively that, you know, they do rely on a lot of their, their two point shooting to sort of sustain them, uh, cause the three point shooting has largely been missing. Um, but, they do seem to kind of lack that level of toughness because if you look at uh, historically, and, and some of this you can maybe attribute a little bit to having to kind of go to four guard lineups, but only a little bit. I mean, four guard lineups can still rebound, and they're 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 getting out rebounded, they're getting out toughed, um, and and teams have sort of figured out. And now, if you have a, a five who can shoot. It can make jump shots. Then Missouri is is in trouble because it forces them to go to lineups that they don't necessarily feel comfortable with. Um, and that's one thing about like you know Jer- when Jeremiah Tillman is on the floor, uh, he does give you a lot of things uh, that can help you offensively. But de- defensively, if he's drawn away from the rim, um, it really sort of cracks down Missouri's defense and makes makes them vulnerable to the kinds of things that we just haven't really seen them be vulnerable with uh, since Martin kind of came on board a few years ago. Yeah, I think we were talking about it. like the the scout here is is pretty easy. If you've got a floor stretching five, you might consider starting him, and you're gonna run either high ball screen, pick and pop. You're gonna run side ball screen in the slot. You'll mix rolling. If you get the right switch, the read is there, and you'll roll the big onto a onto a smaller guy rolling, or he'll bury him deep in the post. Um, or they'll do roll and replace, where they'll invert it and put a guard low on the block, and so when that big goes up to high ball screen, good shooter, whether it's a guard or a combo forward, flashes to the top. They get a jumper. Um, so it really... Again, as we've as you've written in study hall and I've noted, it forces them to change how they guard ball screens a little bit, and sometimes there are some mistakes that happen in how they communicate there, and there are some breakdowns. So it changes kind of I think what they want to do defensively. Um, what we liked early on about them was that they were kind of getting away from their gapping tendencies to being a little bit more on the line up the line, um, and they were doing some more diverse things in ball screens. But when teams find that stretch five, it kind of forces them to make some compromises. Namely, they got to go to four guards, and they got and they'll put Mitchell Smith on the floor to have a switch defender. And now you've got guys all over the place. You know, you don't have a guy. You, you know, as I think as you can probably attest, it's harder in those sometimes. It's hard in those situations sometimes for guys to get a body on a body. There's some more lanes for free runners, so it's just it, it forces them to compromise defensively and offensively. They 
you know, Mitchell Smith is, is trying to do what he can, and he'll occasionally hit a jumper off a baseline inbound play, or he'll get, you know, something on a on a catch and shoot. But he's not a guy who you can kind of really worry about, who teams, you know, will worry about defensively. So you can, again, shrink the floor a little bit. Um, Missouri will try and do some things where they'll you know, try to, you know, run floppy action. They'll try to maybe get some high ball screens. Maybe they'll try and feed the ball, you know, you know, to Mitchell kind of working in the mid post, but there's just, there's not a lot there and all they're going to do is switch everything. And because they've got that stretch five, they can switch and the offense just bogs down. So it really becomes a kinetic chain of stuff that just goes wrong for them. And, you know, we're going to be a broken record here. That changes if they're making jumpers. Suddenly a lot of the things that teams do defensively get harder to sort of justify if Missouri's punishing them from long range. And that's just not happening. And, you know, at this point, you know, you sort of, I think, have to treat it as the status quo. And so I think you you can speak to this because you've written about it a little bit in study halls. How radically do you change the structure of the line of the, you know, the offense right now, or how do you structure the lineups to sort of break this malaise? You know, I don't know, or I, I, you know, I have lots of ideas, but I don't know how salient some of them are, but just how would you go about trying to even start trying to fix this? Well, the difficult thing, you know, for us to, to analyze is obviously we aren't We're not in practice. Room, yeah. so we can kind of only go off the information that we have and, and the information that, that we have is I have no idea why, uh, why Trey Jackson can't get off the bench. Um, I realize like I've, seen him be quite horrible in some of his decision making on defense um but i think a guy like that is athletic enough and uh and quick twitch enough in and around the basket that he can still make things go and make it work uh and he's i think good enough uh offensively if if you kind of are able to build some confidence in him um he's good enough offensively to kind of be the kind of player that uh can make up for some of his defensive uh, deficiencies right now. And, and so I know like we've kind of talked about like getting him on the floor more obviously, but I'd like to see, you know, maybe instead of going to Mitchell Smith to replace Tillman, uh, if there's a, a small ball lineup or a five, you can shoot like, you know, put Trey out there at the five and, uh, and, and see kind of what he can do. Um, I think it'd be possibly uh, just as interesting of a lineup to see Trey at the five and, uh, and maybe try to sneak in, uh, with some, that's one of those things where you really have to kind of build up your guards. So you'd have to kind of go big on your guards. Um, you know, maybe you could get away with Parker Braun at the four, boy, that's getting into some really dicey defensive territory. Um, and teams are going to absolutely hammer him. They're going to, they are going to try and get post switches and just let their guys go to work on him. Well, and that's the thing. Like I, you know, I realize there there is a sort of a fandom of uh, you know for 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 Parker and um, and for good reason. Like he he looks like a good offensive prospect, but he just gets buried on defense. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing for Trey. And and so I like I don't know what they're doing in practice, um, you know. And I realize like like Torrance Watson is really been a net negative uh, on on offense this year, but. 
but he and Pickett are basically even defensively. But right, then that's the thing. Like he's he's good enough defensively that he kind of makes up for it. And the the crazy thing about like Torrance Watson is even though he shot the ball so poorly, like teams still have to defend him on the three because like just last year he was a thirty six point three percent three point shooter. So uh, you have to be aware of of a guy that can make the shot. Now I think it's very easy for them to just sort of dare somebody like Xavier Pinson. Uh, to to shoot the three against them, uh, it's it's kind of the same with somebody like Kobe Brown, uh, who has shown the willingness to shoot, but hasn't necessarily shown the ability to sort of make the shots consistently. Um, and so you can kind of back off guys like that, but but with Watson, like you have to defend him, uh, you know, because he's just as capable of going like five for eight from three as he is one of eight. Uh, and and so because of that, like. That, that is a concern, and that's why the offense tends to work better when he's in the floor. Is just, it provides more space. And so, again, it, go, I mean, go ahead. I mean, we're not in, like I said, we're not in practice, but like when I've watched, gone back and watched film, there's there's one thing that I think sort of catches my eye, you can tell me if like this is an outlier, if you think it's wrong. They will start some possessions with, it looks like floppy, it could be in another term, but they will basically put, you know, pick it down on one on the left block side. They'll have Brown there and they'll basically have a down screen action, which gives him the option. Which way does he want to go? Does he want to cut away? Does he want to go to the opposite side corner? Does he want to pop straight up to the left slot? Often he'll just pop to the left slot. Then Brown will chase a reversal from the point guard to pick it into a side ball screen. So what you have is a non shooter popping out vertically to the shooting slot. So, what's the danger of the switch there? You just switch it and you hang back. Then you have another non-shooter going and another guy who never really gets, who doesn't really, when he comes out of the pick or he comes out of setting the ball screen, looking to roll hard, going to set aside ball screen for a guy who's not going to be a blow-by driver. So really teams just camp at the elbow in the mid post. They switch lightly and then they hang back. And then that action takes eight, nine seconds off the clock, and Missouri's slow getting into its offense, so sometimes you may be at 19 or 20 seconds into the shot clock before the initial action's out, and now then they're out of rhythm, and now they're going, and now things are kind of hurried, so it's little things like that that I watch, and I think, okay, if that's Watson coming off that little pop, you know, kind of down screen over there, what if that's, you know, Drew Smith coming up out of that action, getting a catch from Pinson, now if he's shooting there and getting a side ball screen for maybe a Trey Jackson, what happens? So I, I think I've tweeted, like, I watch what they do, and I watch the structure of the offense, and I think, okay, there's some interesting ideas there. And it's like, are the right guys on the floor trying to execute those ideas? It, does that, I mean, if that makes sense, that's just kind of how I've, how I've watched it at times. Like, oh, I can see the idea there, but is it the right people trying to pull it off? Well, and one of the things that has frustrated me to no end is is watching, you know, like Kobe Brown set ball screens and what he does once the, the screen is set. So his <laughs> he has, like, an ability to roll and not look at the ball. He never looks uh, at the ball. He never looks back. And it's back. just like, so you're, you're never a threat offensively if you're doing that. So once he sets the screen, like, you can pretty much ignore him. Uh, and, and so I, I think there's a lot of it that, you know, you are right here. It is, it is a matter of, you know, the guys that are actually doing the plays as opposed to, 
um, like the structure of the offense, um, which like that's one of the things that I've always like fascinated. Like I've seen some comments to the like of like, oh, we're, they're not doing X, Y, Z on offense. I'm like, well, actually they are. They're they're generating, you know, open looks. It's just, you know, like how many times do you want Kobe Brown taking an open three? Um, cor- how many times know, do you like, want him taking the corner three? Yeah, like, you know, if if Javon Pickett, uh, you know, wanders out to the, the slot for an open three-pointer, like, I mean, Pickett made a couple at Temple. Uh, he's still 4-14 on the year. So he's shooting 28.6%. And, and, and Pickett's a guy who made about 31% last year. So it's just like, it's one of those things like, you know, we kind of talked about Watson being a 36% shooter. Um, that was actually closer to 38 or 39% for like the last 15 games of conference play or something like that. Um, you know, whereas, you know, Pickett's been a little bit more kind of consistent in that <laughs> low 30. So he's a little bit less of a threat. Um, and, and these are the guys that we have kind of taking open shots. Um, you know, Pinson, I think we kind of knew like last year, his a bit shoot, of shooting gold. numbers, yeah, it was fool's gold, and he was known kind of coming in as not really being a great shooter. So when he, I can't remember exactly what he hit, I'll pull it up real quick. Uh, yeah, he hit forty percent from three last year. Um, that was a surprise. As much of a surprise as it was for him to hit forty percent, his regression to the mean has been horrendous because <laughs> he's two for twenty-one right now, um, which is like nine percent. Uh, and that's just that's somebody that even if he's not a good shooter, and I think we could probably label like Pickett as somebody who's not a good shooter, he should still be able to make about three and ten shots, right? Because most of those shots tend to be open catch and shoots. Yep. Uh, and so if he's taking open catch and shoots, you should be able to make three out of ten, um, even as not being a good shooter. And I think that's sort of like where Pickett is. So you can expect Pickett to make three out of 10. He should be about 30%, and he roughly is. But Pickett, you just can't have a, a, a guy on the floor uh, shooting three-pointers who shoots 9%. And and that's just sort of where the offense is right now, is is it just seems like every time they need a shot to be taken, it's it's the wrong guy kind of taking the wrong kind of shot. Yeah, and I, there's a certain juncture, too, where I think you, you know, we talk about the trade-offs, and I wrote about it over the summer a little bit, like I get the trade-off and the logic behind why they they would give Pickett more starting minutes because, as as we noted last week, Torrance does not drive or drives barely. I think he drew his first like foul or his second foul of the year against Oklahoma off a curl off a curl. <laughs> yeah, like it, like it wasn't even like a catch ripping go. It was a curl where the defender was like, "Oh, I can go now." And it, so like that's the thing, like. Even if Pickett's not as athletic or, you know, explosive, he's still occasionally going to look to go toward the rim and try and make something happen. It might be a bad floater. It might be a foul. It could, you know, be a a shot that gets blocked. But he's at least trying to put pressure on the internal, you know, organs of the defense a little bit. And that's not happening with Watson. And so that's sort of my thing is if Torrance showed – a little bit more um, willingness to put the ball on the deck, even if 
the outcomes aren't great, but he's at least diversifying his shot selection. Would that make a difference for him? And if he starts, you know, occasionally drawing a foul and getting to the line, seeing shots go, will that boost his confidence? Because right now, I think his shot almost, you know, it, it's not irreparably broken, but it looks a little flatter, looks a little bit more rushed at times, even when he's all alone with nobody within two passes away from him. So that it sort of feels like the ball maybe is going to the wrong guy, and when it gets to the other guy who's the other option, there's just his default mode is just putting him in a loop, a, a feedback loop where he's not seeing shots drop, the confidence is staying low on that end, and they just can't break that cycle. And I don't know what they do at this point to, to get it there. And so that's where I sort of like the idea of if you, you know, maybe go to a small ball five, you know, who's going to, you know, you know, who has some athleticism, who can also drive, that gets you another guy putting pressure on the rim. So maybe Torrance isn't having to do that, you know. So there's, it's just a question of like, is it personnel or do you have to debate, you know, whether the scheme is, is sort of set up correctly here. And, you know, that even goes for a guy like Jeremiah Tillman, you know, is, is the offense asking him to do the right things right now? Yeah, and I, I think objectively at this point, and we were kind of talking about it before we came on the air, like there was reason to kind of believe that that Tillman was kind of slowly putting everything together. Hell, I wrote about it. I, I, was, um, I was as big of a, a cheerleader on that end as anyone. So Tillman uh, went from 7.5 fouls committed per 40 to 5.9 as a sophomore um he's at 5.0 this year so it's an improvement um but it's still the mental aspect of the game for him is is still a challenge and for him to not get frustrated when fouls are called on him uh, even if he's managing to kind of stay on the floor a little longer or whatever uh, weirdly enough, his his minutes are actually slightly down, um, but I would actually contri- uh, attribute that more to um, Martin being more comfortable at, at certain points of the season with him off the floor. Whereas I don't think last year, like he was very comfortable. Like if if he didn't have Geist and Tillman on the floor together, like you could tell he was pretty worried about about what the team was going to do. Um, whereas this year I feel like he at least, w- he, he knows as long as he has like Mark and, and Drew on the floor, like they'll, they'll be able to kind of figure out something. Um, you know, but I really is like, I, I think at this point you have to realize that Jeremiah Tillman is kind of what he, what he is. Uh, you know, I think there was reason to kind of feel hopeful that he was putting it together. Uh, I think at this point we have to sort of realize that there's probably a ceiling on that for him. And and it looks like he's kind of there. Like, I just don't know how he's going to suddenly figure it all out in the span of the next, you know, five to ten games and, and be first team all SEC. Um, you know, maybe he does. That'd be great. I'd be really, really happy if that happened. But I just don't there, – there isn't enough evidence at this point for me to think that that's going to happen. And I think when you structure your offense around him – and for his ability to, to create the angles, uh, you know, for for the you know shooters to be able to either get good shots or, or drive the ball, um, you know, it's putting Missouri in a weird place for them uh, offensively when 
when suddenly he's taken out of the game, either by, uh, you know, his own mistakes. I mean, his, his turnover rate is actually up this year. Yeah. Um, you know, or, and, and the, the amazing thing about his turnover rate is, uh, and I think previously you could attribute a lot of his turnovers to offensive, offensive fouls. Yeah. And I, I think those offensive fouls are down this year. He's just turning the ball over. Like he's spinning into double teams and, uh, you know, he's not passing as crisply, um, you know, like Temple really, really played him well by sending that baseline double. Um, you know, still, I, I kind of, kind of mentioned it to you because you were not watching the game live. You had a Christmas party to go to. I was a little jealous. Um, but they were sending a baseline double uh, very early in the first half, and it, it it frustrated him a lot. And 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 I think he ended up with five turnovers, and that's just that's so when you have like the center point of your offense. <laughs> Uh, with five turnovers and you know twenty-two minutes played, and uh, you know takes six shots, like I, that's just that's just not good enough for what Missouri needs out of their offense right now. Yeah, and I think the one thing I've looked at it is his turnovers out of hard doubles are up, and that was one of the things that you know buoyed my sort of, I guess, uh, or made me bullish on him this year was like those were down, and his ability to you know I went back and watched film of pretty much every post up from last year. And he was, there'd be times I think, you know, when teams would get the jump on him and, you know, do a good job timing up, you know, guards digging down. But for the most part, he was okay. But again, that's because there were one, I think he's, and we talked about this, you know, again, before we came on air, there were guys that were making shots last year. And so that guy, you know, you'd see if you watch the, weak side of the floor and you watch how two guards would swap spots the men defending them couldn't have a heel on the paint and they do this year they had to be out and they had to be ready to guard a kick out and if they sank too far he would just whip the ball there or if a guy turned their head Javon Pickett might cut out of the right slot towards the rim Javon Pickett is not doing that this year so there are I think I've sent you multiple screenshots of just watching his post-ups well, there are four dudes with at least one foot on the lane. That mm-hmm. there's just no operating room for him, and he can recognize that all he wants. But if he puts the ball to a shooter and it's not dropping, those guys aren't going to go anywhere. And teams have figured out now: you sit on him on the left block, you play him to try and get over his left shoulder to a hook shot. And sometimes he's now tried this thing where he reverse pivots away into a jumper in the corner on or near the baseline. You're fine with him taking that shot. Sometimes he's even now, you know, kind of drifting to the nail and shooting a jumper. That's not going. And so really, it's the scout has become easy. When Missouri's not shooting well, like we've pointed out, send a soft double team to him, change the angle occasionally at which it comes from, frustrate him, make him take the ball out of his hand, and see if Missouri can, you know, hit shots to force you to do anything other, anything different. The question is, do you now have to change how you initiate or use him in the offense. I thought we might see, you know, just his mobility become a bigger factor. And early on, they would do stuff like run more one, four flat pick and rolls. They would do some things where they would have, they might push the tempo off a miss and they might have him come up and just set a pseudo drag screen at the top of the key and let a guy play off of it. You don't see that as much. And you just don't see them, I think, put him on the move. I think they worry about offensive fouls, I think, because there have been some times early in the season where 
guards didn't do a good job taking their man into the screen and he would pick up a quick foul. And so has that kind of made them gun shy about doing that? But again, I, I don't know what the answer is, but the question is if the, if that's supposed to be your trigger man and supposed to be the guy that sort of sets the table for you and he's really an occasional tertiary creator, how do you, how do you change the structure of the offense? And, now, what do you do to sort of have a guy like Drew, maybe, or you know, Pinson, if if he can kind of get the turnovers back under control, sort of be the main driver of what this offense is trying to do? Yeah, so it's uh, it's been frustrating to uh, to watch them. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons uh, that you know we we've sort of talked like. If things kind of continue it this way, like I, I, I can't imagine that things stay static on his his staff. And I, I realize like Conzo is, um, is kind of an insular guy. He wants to kind of keep things in house and, uh, and just sort of you know, dig down and and, and grind and that kind of thing. But, um, I you know whatever they're they're doing is hasn't been working, and I just don't think that you can look at uh, an offense that is objectively worse than it was last year. Um, I think now currently actually they're, they're ahead of uh, their rate last year. They were 127 in offense last year. I thought they were higher than that. They were not good. They were not good at drawing fouls or converting two pointers. Now they have the opposite problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that. The fact that, uh, they're they're like the inverse of their team last year. They're basically the same. So they're one eleven this year, uh, one twenty seven last year. Last year they were uh, top eighty in three point shooting. Um, they're three thirty nine right now in three point field goal percentage. Turnovers have been consistent. Uh, that's not a good thing. The non steal turnover um, percentage is just galling, just galling. Uh, yeah, it's 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 up just a little bit from last year, but uh, it's it's three twenty three twenty two in the country at twelve point eight percent. So that's yeah, it's twelve percent of your uh, your possessions that you're just throwing away, just throwing the ball away, and and so uh, you know as good as they are around the rim, and and they they have been very good at around the rim, fifty five percent from two. Um, they throw away nine possessions per game. In terms of, if you look at adjusted tempo, just yeah, yep, yep, yep. Travels and, and there, there are going to be uh, non-steal turnovers in a game. It's just going to happen. There's nobody who it will who not plays. be non-zero. It, but yeah. uh, who's number one? Uh, Utah State has a six point five percent. Really, just get it to the median. You know, like like let's be in the middle. Let's be ten percent. Look at twelve percent. Look at That's... two teams who are in the top ten: Butler and Oklahoma. They just play clean. They just play clean. And Southern. Oh, and look who is down here at number nineteen: Southern Illinois. The Salukis play clean. Now they get the ball stolen from them a lot, but they. <laughs> <laughs> but but Missouri. But the, but you laugh, but. But what's Missouri's steal rate defensively right now? Like, what Missouri's 133rd in steal rate? Like, Missouri's not out here, you know, replicating Texas Tech and, you know, badgering people into turnovers. Yeah. So, they're, 
they're middle of the ground. I I I think Drew is uh, Drew's a bit of a ball hawk. Like he likes to he likes to get the ball, and uh, and and he's pretty good at it. Now the rest of the team, I don't really think you would mistake any of those guys for um, you know for the next. I don't know who's an all-time steals leader in the NBA. Was it Stockton? I believe so. Let me. I can yeah. look it up, but that's a that's another rabbit hole to fall down. But I, the, I guess the point is that how do you change the offense? Like if and this, again, we are. I recognize that we're nine games into the regular season, but if this if this becomes just locked in, if this is the status quo, and you're looking at going into year four with. Um, I'm pulling it up right now with offenses that have ranked 58th, 127, and 111. And at Cal, Conzo's offenses were 172, 53, and 160. It may just be that, you know, slightly average offenses, slightly, I don't hesitate to say above average, but it's above the median, but middle-of-the-road offenses, is that going to continue to be something that you can continue to, you know, function with at this at, at this program? That I don't believe that was the um, guiding logic when Conzo was hired. I think, like you said, it was, would you see growth on that end of the floor? And if this trends, if this trend continues, I think that's sort of an open question. Yeah, and, and certainly, like, I think there's... Um... There's opportunities for him to uh, to sort of get this fixed, uh, and the SEC provides a lot of fluidity. Um, there's a lot of teams who are. Boy, aren't it good. does. So I don't I mean, know. Like still pegged to, they're pegged to go nine and nine. That you know that's an eighth place finish right now. So and it's still higher than to the if, broadcast if, like like yeah Joe Lenardi sort of expects them to probably need to need to be in the top 6 to make the NCAA tournament um which seems about right i mean i just i could see well it's a six bid league this year but you know like there is <laughs> it'll be interesting the, the unfortunately for the SEC like they've they haven't done a whole lot to bolster uh their argument and some other leagues have done far more so when you go into uh, non-league play and you don't get wins against teams from other conferences, like you end up, um, you end up kind of suffering at the end of the year when when the bids come out. So, like the Atlantic Ten, for example, um, Atlantic Ten has at least two or three teams who are probably gonna maybe. So they got. AC. Duquesne is undefeated. Um, SLU is at eight and one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Dayton is really good. VCU is really good. Um, They've got four teams at Richmond, Duquesne, Davidson, and Rhode Island. That if they could, could I mean, we'll we'll take Rhode Island out right now. Davidson's five and five, but there's four or five teams in there that could wind up, you know, bumping some teams if if they put together a compelling resume. Yeah. So. But like I said, the it's, you know the SEC is certainly fluid. Um, you know, Kentucky still looks like they're starting to kind of figure it out. They'll probably be about 
what they always are is is kind of rocky at the beginning, but they'll figure it out late and, and look pretty good. Auburn's looking better than I think either of us expected them to look. Tennessee is looking better than I think people expected them to look. Um, I've, I'm feeling feeling Close pretty good about my, my my Tennessee bet, where we were saying, I think here you gotta you, you gotta bet on culture, and their culture is is good. Um, Florida is. We were justified, and I was justified in not being as uh, rosy on Florida right now. Um, Mike White is also having problems uh, running good offense. I mean, they're ranked 56th right now, but for a team that was number six in the preseason to be 56th in offense, 33 on defense, looking an awful seven CD right now in Gainesville. And that's not what they were expected to be considering that some national writers were putting them in the final four and that they have uh, their best win is over Xavier on a neutral floor by five. Uh, but they took a 14 point loss to Butler last weekend. And that was not competitive through most of the second half uh, road loss to UConn home loss to Florida state who again, uh, Leonard Hamilton continues to, Defy age and uh, graduation. So, uh, I don't know. Hard to see if that Florida win. A lot of people thought, oh, that might be a chance to steal a quality win at home. Eh, Florida can't, you know, come close to re- reaching its potential. That I mean, it would still be a quality win, but it wouldn't be quite the feather in your cap if you get it. So, that's that's one thing to sort of consider is that those types of teams are not looking as sort of strong uh, or as a solid booster shot for a resume right now. Alabama is, you know, a team that I thought was going to be better. They are mired at four and four. Um, Mississippi state and Ole Miss are kind of about where I thought they'd be. Uh, So the real question is, can Alabama and Florida, you know, improve a little bit and as LSU sort of figured things out after some early losses uh, to Utah state and to, uh, I can't remember who else they took a loss to uh, in the, out of the A-10. Uh, VCU, so but that VCU loss is looking good. So uh, to wrap it up, SEC is looking a little soft, uh, and Missouri's got probably two opportunities, four quality non-con wins left. Uh, although West, yeah, West Virginia is seven and one right now, so they got a road trip to West Virginia and they have bragging rights. That's about it in the non-con for our quality wins. And it looks like Illinois is about to beat Michigan. They're up uh, six under a minute to play. Um, and Kofi Cockburn is a guy who I'll I'll admit I saw highlights of him and, and and this is where I will always go back to why it is so difficult to scout big guys. I had no idea why he was ranked in the top thirty or forty or whatever he was because he just looked big and immobile and he's a monster. He's got uh, nineteen points and ten rebounds and. Uh, He's looking like a guy who might might leave Champagne after a year. So, uh, pretty interesting. Um, so that'll be a tough game from uh, Missouri, uh, and then obviously West Virginia. Uh, we, I don't know. Should we record next week? Should we do some like bragging rights previewing? Let's do that because who knows what will happen coming out of Southern Illinois this weekend. Um, what the Salukis will do, um, uh, as you said, and I, I agreed. There's some Charleston Southerning potential for this team. Uh, <laughs> uh, they play a lot of guards. Some of those guards can shoot. 
Um, don't have a lot of size. I know. Maybe Temple was what Missouri needed to kind of get it figured out. I, I think what they need is they need to have one of those games where, you know, they shoot like 55% from three and uh, and just have kind of a breakout shooting. A rainmaker? Yeah. Because um, I just really think like a lot of it, it come, kind of comes down to confidence. And, and I think that they've got guys who can make shots. They just aren't. Um, and, and that'll go a long way. Um, so yeah, so we'll be back next week. Um, but I think we're gonna get on out of here. I don't, I don't want to be on the air when, uh, when I have to actually read happy Illinois fan tweets. Um, so we will be back next week. Uh, we'll review their play against Southern Illinois on Sunday uh, and do a little preview for bragging rights. Um, you can still catch up on all the latest podcasts. There's a whole lot of stuff out there on the coaching hire. Uh, I believe Nate is going to be recording a, a, a podcast either tomorrow or Friday uh, for your listening pleasure. Uh, more things, all Coach Drinkwood, so get a hold of that. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Uh, we'll be back until then. Thank you.